Good morning. We are uh, continuing our series in Romans. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles and want to get ready, go to Romans chapter 1. Uh, Susan talked to us last week as we're in this series in Romans. The subtitle uh, is Courtroom to Living Room. That's the movement of this, of this book. Uh, we're, as we will learn even today, that, that, uh, that we're walking into the courtroom before a holy God, a holy judge, and as we move to the book of Romans, as we encounter that holy God and a holy judge, we then uh, move to the living room where we live out our, our lives of faith as God's sons and daughters who've been adopted and are, are relating now is to a God as Father. That's the Christian name, the New Testament name for God, Father. Uh, he's our heavenly father. So we're, we're in that movement in the book of Romans. Last week, Susan talked to us about this, uh, well, Paul's, he's, he's compelled to preach the gospel. He's, he calls himself a slave of Christ, compelled to preach the good news, and this good news that he's not ashamed to preach. And uh, Susan challenged us that, that as we are not ashamed of the gospel, as we speak the gospel, much like it was in Paul's day, it's, it's true today that there is a righteousness that's being revealed uh, that as we understand our shortcomings, we see our sinfulness, that there is a righteousness that's ours, that, uh, that is in Christ. And we, we accept that gift, a free gift of grace by faith. And Susan talked about that uh, last week. And uh, this week I'm going to be talking about Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Now, uh, several years ago in a weak moment, uh, Trina and I bought a dog uh, we, we, it was a weak moment because uh, we, we've got plenty of people in our household that are allergic to animals, and our youngest son is a, a animal lover, and so we wanted to get him a dog for his birthday, and so we, uh, we found this, uh, this beagle, uh, and, and we uh, gave it as a, a gift uh, to Cal. Now, you know, when you, when you see people walking down the street with their dog, and they've got it on a leash, and this dog is so well-behaved, walking right by them, and, uh, and you see that, that, that's, that was not our experience. Uh, Rowdy, uh, the, the, we named the beagle Rowdy, uh, Rowdy, uh, well, he's, he's part hound dog, and so uh, he, he would always pick up a scent, and he would be always chasing something, pulling you, and so we were always trying to pull this dog back, and it was actually taking us for walks. We thought we were taking the dog for a walk, but it was taking us for walks, and if you weren't paying attention, uh, as you'd be walking by someone's yard, Rowdy would get his nose to the ground, pick up a scent, and he would just lurch forward in a direction. If you weren't paying attention, you would like rip your arm out of the socket, uh, walking this dog was not a pleasant experience and uh, we'd be walking and he'd lunge into yards he'd lurch into fields and we'd always yank the dog back uh, he was always on a mission one time I'm in the backyard and I'm taking the garbage out and I just cracked the, the gate as I'm, as I'm walking out. I haven't even got the bin out the, the gate yet. And I see this blur of white fur shoot by me. And it's Rowdy. He, is, he does not want to be constricted in the confines of this backyard. And so he bolts out this gate, shoots across the street. Doesn't look left or right to see if there's a bus coming. I mean, he just goes, right? And, and he's in the, the yard of the neighbors, nose down. He's picked up a scent. He's moving forward. He goes between the houses and he's like blocks away before uh, me and a couple of kids are in cars, we're chasing them, and finally about a, after about a half hour, we get him uh, and, and bring him in the backyard and, and shut the gates, and we are exhausted by this dog. 
Um, and uh, it, it, just, it just wanted freedom. It didn't like the, the, the confines of the backyard. You know, it was like when you're lunging on this leash, and it's like when we pull the leash back, and the dog will look back at, at you and like, come on, man, just let me run. Just let me just let me enjoy life. You're keeping me for some, some really good things. I can smell it, and I'm on a journey here. Let me loose. I want to be free. And, you know, we, we, we value freedom as Americans. Freedom is a big deal to us as a country. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but, uh, you know, the definition of freedom has changed over the years. The, now the definition of freedom is the right to indulge myself in any impulse that I feel. So, so we pick up a scent, and we lunge in a direction, and then when someone tells us, you can't go that way. That's, you, you shouldn't do that. It's almost like there's this leash being pulled and we look back and say, come on, man, let me loose. Stop confining me. I, I want to be free. In fact, if we relate to God in that way, oftentimes what we do is we look at God and we view him inaccurately as sort of the divine leash holder who's keeping us from all these good things. He's yanking us on the leash because he wants to keep us on this sidewalk. And oftentimes what happens is we look at God that way, we lunge, we lurch, we pick up a send, and our hound dog hearts want to run in a certain direction. And we feel constrained. Now we're looking at Romans chapter one today and and, and the end of this chapter, verses 18 through 32. And what you're going to see is you're going to see God as creator And you're going to hear Paul talk about people who, sort of like Rowdy, are lunging and lurching, and these people don't like that that God's holding them back, and so what's going to happen is is eventually God's going to get tired of all this lunging and lurching. He's going to let us go, and as we go, what we're we're going to do is we're, we're going to ignore the fact that there is a God. We're going to find invitations for God, and then we're just going to find a wholesale replacement for God. We'll just get rid of him because we want to run free. We picked up sense, and we want to satisfy our cravings. So if you've got your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, uh, turn there, and actually if you stand with me, I'm going to read these verses for us, beginning in verse 18, finishing in verse 32. Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles." Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. 
Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. And that's a real pick-me-up on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Wow. What's going on here? Well, let's just pull the lens back for a moment, get a wide-angle view uh, of what, what Paul's been writing about. Uh, in chapters one and two, there's these three unveilings or these three revealings. Uh, Susan talked about the first one last week in Romans uh, chapter one, verse 17. Uh, go throw the first one up there if you would, Ron. There's a gift of righteousness that has been revealed that is available by faith. This is what Susan talked about this last week. That's why Paul is not ashamed to preach the gospel because as he does, this gift of righteousness is revealed to people. So that's this first unveiling, this first revealing. The second one is in the text we read today. Uh, Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. So here we have this gift of righteousness that's revealed by God. It's revealed in Christ who's gone to the cross. He's gone to pay every single person's sin penalty. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. He's, He's paying their sin penalty and by faith anyone who believes in him can have his righteousness given or you can appropriate his, his righteousness for you. And, and, and that's the, this gift of righteousness that's being revealed. The second one, the second revealing is it describes those who reject Christ. There's this wrath of God that's being revealed against those who, who are going to eventually replace God and get rid of God. Then there's a third unveiling or a third revealing. You find this in chapter two, verse five. It says the righteous judgment of God will be revealed. That there is a day coming when every one of us will stand before a holy God. Believer and unbeliever, giving account for our lives. And and in these unveilings, in these revealings, there's a past, a present, and a future tense to them. There's this this past tense in in the fact that there's a righteousness that has been revealed. Christ went to the cross. This gospel message has been preached for thousands of years. And that righteous gift is, is still available. And for those who reject it, there's now a wrath of God that's being revealed. And the future tense here is the fact that there is a a righteous judgment. God will, with impartiality, in all fairness, he will judge everyone. So we have these three unveilings, and as Paul is is making his case, he's, he's, he's writing to the church about where our world has gone and how they're going to replace God. He begins the conversation by talking about creation. He states this fact that nobody, nobody can say that they didn't know there was a God. 
theologians call this general revelation, and it comes from creation. Paul says that you can look at creation and you can, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that there is a creator. In fact, let me just help you. If you've got a cell phone, I'll take it out of your pocket and, and, and hold it in your hand. You're holding in your hand uh, something that was, that was created. Uh, it's pretty amazing what cell phones can do. Some of you are, I look around the room, some of you have been around long enough that you're, you know, the wa- phones didn't go in your pockets, right? Uh, they, and to use a phone, to use a phone was pretty expensive. Well, that hasn't changed. But, you know, the, the, we, but now they're mobile, right? And you look at your phone, and um, you, you know that somebody worked hard to put your phone together. Okay, someone put some thought into it. There, there's wires and chips and technology. You can call somebody. You can even Skype on your phone. You can send a text message. You can email. You can check the weather. Um, there's new phones now you can talk to and ask questions, and they answer you. And there's a lot of technology in the phone. And you know that this phone didn't just magically come together, that someone put their mind, put their intelligence to this and created for us cell phones. And, and you have different brands of phones. Maybe you have a phone made by Motorola. Maybe you have a phone made by Verizon. Maybe you got an iPhone. There's different companies who make these phones. And it's, it's created. And, and look at your hand that's holding the phone. Let me just look at the back of your hand as you're holding it. Your hand was created. It's intricate. There's, there's amazing design in your hand. The skin just, your, your skin is a, it's just a, an amazing creation in and of itself. But if you go below the skin, you look, you're seeing tissue, you're seeing capillaries, you're seeing blood vessels, there's bones, there's ligaments and tendons that are perfectly placed so that you could hold your hand out and with a thought in your mind that was created, you can say, point, and, you're, and, you're, and you can point with a finger. Or you can, you can make a fist, in a, in a millisecond, you can choose to make a fist. Or you can say, go Ducks, because it was a great weekend for Duck fans, right? You can, you can do it. Just, I just had to throw it in there. We're talking about the wrath of God. You got to throw some stuff in, right? Uh, you can, your, hand, your hand is amazingly created to do wonderful things. And it is created. And you can learn things about you can learn things about people who create things. I mean, back to yourself. Look at companies. I mean, look at Microsoft. My, you see the personality of Bill Gates in Microsoft. He, there's, there's intelligence. There's business efficiency. There's wonderful products to, to help things run more productively. Look at a, couple, a, a company like Apple. Uh, Steve Jobs, who's recently deceased. His personality comes out in that company. Creativity, intuition, uh, the, the personality of the creator comes out in the created. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He says, you look at creation and you can learn something about God. I mean, look at a sunrise and see the beauty that's in that sunrise. Look, look at DNA and see complexity beyond your imagination. Look, look at a, a beautiful starlit night and have it just blow your mind how it just goes on and on and on the galaxies. Look at the, majest, the, the, the majesty of the mountains. Look at the power of incoming tide. Look at the art in the changing colors of leaves in the fall. 
Or look at, look at an animal like a lion and hear it roar and watch our reaction as we run for cover because of its, its ferocity. Or watch what happens when someone brings puppies into the room and everyone comes close and wants to pet them. Creation tells us something about a creator. It tells us clearly beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is a creator. Things didn't just magically come together. And it also tells us, Paul tells us in, in, in chapter 1, verse 20, that there is a God who, is, who has eternal power and possesses a divine nature. And it is so evident that Paul says that no one can say, I didn't know there was a God. No one can say that. And yet, what Paul's going to show us is that we have become fools. Because what we have done is we have said, there is no God. There isn't a creator. We've ignored God. We've created imitations of God. And we've replaced him. And Paul calls us fools. It's a hard word. But we need to dive into it. Paul, there's about four different words that Paul could have used in the original language to sort of help us understand what he's saying. One word he could have used would be, uh, it would mean in the English, it would mean a lack of perception of the physical world or the spiritual world. That's one word he could have used. Or he could have used another, world, another word that, that, that simply means a, you lack the, the ability to, to think rationally or to think logically. He doesn't use that word. Another word he might have used uh, would mean to, you lack the ability to govern your lusts. He doesn't use that word. He uses a word in the original language. It's the word moros, which in the English, it, it, it's translated moron. He's saying something pretty strong here. You have become moros. You have become moros in your thinking. And there are effects of moros. Moros literally means to be worthless in heart and character. And here are the effects of moros. The first one is this, willful ignorance of God. You see that in verse 21. The second effect of of moros leads to a clever imitation of God. You see that in verses 22 and 23 that we've read. And finally, the last effect of moros is it ends in a wholesale replacement of God. And this is foolish thinking. This is a description of a dark mind a dark heart. And what Paul is saying, you have become fools. You see, it's obvious from creation that there is a creator. And if you look at the creation, you can learn things about the creator. You can tell that, that just like with, with, uh, with your cell phone, you can tell that there's somebody who is pretty bright. Put things together. Remember last week when Susan was talking and she talked about this, this excitement where she got a, a, a new car it was an AMC Pacer. 
and she drove to the gas station. She was so embarrassed because uh, her, her dad was there and he was, you know, black pants, white, you know, T-shirt. He's got black socks on and he, he shouts across the gas station to her daughter, you know, and she's slinking down in her chair like, oh, don't embarrass me in front of my friends. That AMC Pacer, whoever created it, tells you something about the creator of that car, right? <laughs> so we dug in the archives a bit to, to find a picture of Susan in, a, in that car. I think we've, we've got it. There it is. That tells you something. I told Susan last night, game on, Susan, okay? You've had your time to get in here. (laughs) Moros, moros. (laughs) Here's the effect of, 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 when you come to the conclusion, when you see the obvious reality of creation and you come to this place, realize, you know what? There's no God I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to find my replacements for him. I'm going to find my imitations of him. And we start lunging and lurching on the leash. And, and God is trying to help us walk in a way that gives us life. And yet we're, look, we're looking back at him and saying, God, set me free. You're, you're, you're keeping me all confined. Let me roam. Let me run. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And what's happening in this text, as theologians put it, that God, if he is holding a leash, he's feeling all these lunging and these lurchings, and what he ends up finally doing is just letting it go. It's called judicial abandonment. Uh, Okay, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. It's going to destroy you, but I'm going to let you run. And then what Paul walks us through is these exchanges and these handing over, these giving overs in, in Romans chapter one. He's, here's, here's what they're doing. You, you're running now. You know, just like when you get a gift for Christmas and you, and you smile when you open, you're like, oh, thanks so much. That's so nice. And inside you're thinking, I really don't want this. It's the wrong color. It doesn't make me look good. I already have one. I, I asked for this and I got this. And you, you take it and you go back to the store and you exchange it. That is what, that's what's happening here. People have a God who is eternal in power, divine in nature, and they're taking him back and saying, I want something else. And so what you see is these exchanges and these handing overs all through Romans chapter one, three of each, begins in verse 23. It says, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It's literal idolatry. It's not so prevalent where it's, where, it's, where it's so clear in our society. It's there. It's literal idolatry. You see it in like some ancient civilizations like Egypt where they see the sun, they see the power of the sun, and instead of worshiping the creator of the sun, they come up with a sun god and they worship this, this god that they have made or a river god or something like that. They exchanged, they turned in God in exchange. Uh, they've, they've got these images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, reptiles. So, in verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. All right, there you go. Impurity, contamination. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. There's a vast difference between the created and the creator. Yet they've served the created. And so, God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
where women exchange natural relationships for unnatural ones. Men do the same. And the third exchange you see in verse 28. Furthermore, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. It's not even worth keeping around the idea that there is a God. It's, it's not even worth entertaining anymore. It's not worthwhile, so what does God do? He says he, he gave them over to a depraved mind. And what you have is a listing of 21 relational sins. You, you get social chaos. Sometimes what happens as Christians, we, we imagine that there's a sort of this downward spiral. And, and you know, there's sexual immorality, but down, down at the bottom of the spiral is, is the, the really bad stuff, you know, homosexuality and that kind of stuff. And that's not the case here. If, if it is a linear downward spiral, what you see in this text is you have heterosexual immorality, then you've got homosexuality, and at the bottom you've got social chaos, relational sins. And this handing over, and the, the bottom of that spiral is the handing over to a depraved mind. And don't for a moment th- think that a depraved mind is some weird person who is just out of their head. No, that's, that's not the case at all. Uh, one article that I found was uh, talking about a man named uh, Peter Singer. Uh, Singer is a, a Princeton philosopher. Uh, he, he teaches philosophy at, at Princeton University. The New England Journal of Medicine says that he has had more success in affecting changes in acceptable behavior than any philosopher since Bertrand Russell. The New Yorker magazine called him the most influential philosopher alive. And while politicians debate the definition of marriage between two people, Mr. Singer argues that any kind of consensual sexual behavior involving two or 200 is ethically fine. And in this article, it says, when asked about certain deviant sexual practices that I won't even begin to mention, this was his response. Well, I might ask the people, what's holding you back from a more fulfilling relationship, but it isn't wrong inherently in any moral sense. Singer is then asked, What about parents conceiving and giving birth to a child specifically to kill the child, to take their organs, and to transplant them in their ill older children? His response, well, it's difficult to warm up to parents like these, but they aren't doing anything really wrong. When we had lunch, the the reporter goes on to say, when we had lunch after our initial interview and I read back his answers to him, he stood by all his statements. He also reaffirmed that it's ethically okay to kill one-year-olds with physical or mental disabilities. Now, these proposals are biblically and morally monstrous, but Singer is a soft-spoken, gentle Princeton philosopher. And it's here that the words of Whitaker Chambers from almost 70 years ago applies so very well. Man without God is a beast and never more beastly than when he is most intelligent about his beastliness. Man without God is a beast and never more beastly when he is most intelligent about his beastliness. We've replaced God. 
Now, here's what Paul's doing in this letter to Romans, specifically in chapter one. He's imagining a conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a literary style. He's imagining a conversation, and as he's writing this letter, he's sort of imagining that people who are reading the letter are responding and saying, that's right, Paul, you preach it. You, you, you preach it, Paul. That, that's exactly what's going on in our world. Maybe that for some of you in the room, that's what you're feeling as well because you see this word they show up all the time in chapter one. Uh, verse 21, they knew God. They neither glorified him. Their thinking became futile. They claimed to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Their women exchanged natural relations. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. They're full of envy. They are gossips. They invent ways of, of, of doing evil. They disobey a parent, their parents. They not only continue to do these things, but, but approve of those who practice. They, 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 they. And Paul turns the table on them in Romans chapter two, verse one, and says, you, therefore, have no excuse. Because Paul isn't just writing about culture. He's writing about the church. And he's saying, you're guilty. You are without excuse. Yeah, all that stuff is happening, it's pretty public, but the reality is, some of those things, not all those things, but some of those things are happening in the privacy of your own life. And you're sitting there and you're judging culture, you're judging your world, and you're saying, preach it! Preach it. And then Paul says, you therefore have no excuse. There's four ways I see this in my own life. I can call them the four Ps. Power, pleasure, possessions, popularity. Power, pleasure, possessions, popularity. To the extent that I I spend my resources, my time, and my energy pursuing those four things, thinking that they will give to me what only God can give to me, then I am worshiping the created over the creator. And I'm replacing God. Now, about a year after we had our dog, Rowdy, um, we, Trina and I were at, I was speaking at a camp uh, in, in Oregon, and we were driving home. My daughter called me and said, uh, hey, Dad, I think the meter reader person came over and read the meter in the backyard and uh, left the gate open. Um, I, I can't find, find Rowdy. In the back seat of the car is my, my son, Cal, who the dog was given to him for his birthday, I'm thinking, oh man. So I break the news to Cal and he's like, that's okay, dad. He was wearing me out. <laughs> and every, every now and then I'm driving around town I see somebody walking a dog and it's a, a beagle and the leash is very tight. I, I wonder to myself, <laughs> I wonder if that's rowdy. Rowdy never came home. He picked up a scent. He's tracking something that he had to have. He never came home. Have you come home? You tracking scents? 
Yeah. Trying to satisfy a craving that can't be satisfied. See, there's a righteousness that's been revealed. But the wrath of God is also being revealed. And I don't want you to walk out of this room with any sense of a lack of clarity on this subject. We cannot achieve righteousness. It's something for us to receive. And perhaps you need to come home and simply acknowledge that. This weekend, 36 people are stepping into the waters of baptism. 36 people who have stood in the courtroom and have agreed and said, yep, I fall short of God's perfection, his standard of glory. I'm a sinner. And they have by faith put their faith and trust and righteousness has been revealed to them and they are by symbolism saying they're going into the waters of baptism, that they're dying to the old way of life and they're walking in this new way of life. And we get to celebrate that massive turnaround that's available in Christ. And we get to do it today.